What's up, guys? Game day is almost here, just around the corner, and we appreciate you joining us again today on the Glory UJ Podcast, as we have you covered when it comes to breaking down uh, our week one matchup with the Appalachian State Mountaineers. Uh, but first things first, I'm Tyler, and with me, as he is each and every week, is my co-host Curtis. You can follow and, and interact with us on Twitter at Glory underscore UGA. You can email us at GloryUJPodcast at gmail.com. And you can also check out our Glory UJ Podcast Facebook page. Uh, you know, One of our goals during the uh, whole offseason was to kind of pick up our social media game and just really generally increase our digital presence, kind of to hopefully make the show more interactive for all of you guys out there. We really wanted to make our show a place where all of you guys can make your voice heard because, I mean, really, let's be honest here. It's all of you guys out there that are the heart and soul of this program, and you guys responded incredibly. We had so many great conversations and mailbag shows over the course of the offseason, and we definitely want to continue that and carry that over into the season. So obviously there's going to be a lot more real football to talk about, so we can't ignore that, and we won't ignore that, but we also don't want to shut you guys out. In fact, we want to do kind of just the opposite of that. Right now, and we'll see how it works, but right now, while we have plans to introduce a new feature for our midweek show, we're going to be going to three shows a week. Um, the midweek show won't be a long show, um, but uh, three shows a week during the season. And that midweek show, we're going to call Read and React, kind of an old football term that we're going to kind of repurpose for our show. And basically the premise is that we're going to take all the questions and comments that we get each week about, could be the previous week's games or the game coming up that week. We're going to read them on the show and then react to them, hence read and react. Kind of similar to what we do for the mailbag shows, um, a little bit different. Mailbag shows are pretty much just all questions, whereas with read and react, you can give us questions definitely, but also just general comments and we'll kind of react to what you guys have to say. So keep that in mind and be sending us all comments and questions you have about the games each and every week. Uh, and also, real quick, for our newer listeners, just a heads up that you can access all of our shows, new and old, on iTunes, SoundCloud, and the Stitcher and TuneIn apps. And we always appreciate it if you would rate, review, and share the links to the show. All right, Kurt. Week one, the Appalachian State Mountaineers, they're going to be rolling into town on Saturday. Probably Friday night, but they'll be here Saturday. So let's before we get into all the specifics on both sides of the ball, Let's just start with some broad, general conversation uh, before moving to a specific area here in just a second. Uh, the general perception, and correct me if I'm wrong, but would you say like the general perception out there is that Appalachian State is kind of a giant killer of sorts? Oh, yeah, I think that's very fair. Yeah, I mean, you did, obviously you have the epic upset over Michigan in the big house in 2007, and you had the, the almost win but overtime loss in Neyland Stadium to open uh, last season. And then Phil Steele, I don't know if you ha- had a chance to catch this earlier in the week, on ESPN, you know, he, he has his own little preseason magazine, but he also works for ESPN now some. And Phil Steele said that in his week one predictions that he's predicting Appalachian State is going to take us right down to the wire. Uh, so they have that reputation. That's, that's pretty widespread out there in the college football world. So, Kurt, how nervous should we be heading into Saturday? Is this something that we should really be keeping a close eye on? Are we in line to be the next victim? Um, I think we should be nervous, yeah. But I think at the same time, if you take them serious, it's not as much of a problem. I mean, Michigan, I think the biggest thing is Michigan took them lightly, and that's what snuck up on them. Tennessee had been drinking a lot of their own Kool-Aid, you know, reading all the press clippings about themselves and everything about it, and you saw what happened to them. I mean, think about it. You saw what they could do to – the Tennessee on the road, but the interesting thing is they're at home against Miami. Got and blown out. Forty-five ten, I think it was against Miami. Exactly. So Miami didn't take them as lightly, and that was a home game for App State. And I remember um, that game because that was what that was week three, right? It was week three. Uh, yeah, because I, yeah, I was United. sitting in Harpo's in Columbia, Missouri, watching that game, and every all the talk was leading up the game. Well, they almost beat Tennessee, so Miami, watch out, watch out. And when teams hear that over and over and over, and you're more talented. You don't sneak up on, a, on on those more talented teams, and they just beat you down, right? Exactly. Yeah, and like, and we, I know some of you probably listened to our Appalachian State edition of the Scout and the Enemy series. Uh, actually, our very first one of those this summer. Um, is so some of you might remember me saying this, but I think it bears repeating for some of our newer listeners. Yes, Appalachian State has those big moments. Okay, they had obviously the huge epic moment. In the big house against Michigan. They had the almost win at Neyland Stadium. They, and they should have won that game. They outplayed Tennessee for, I don't know, man, what, 59 minutes there? They just 
happened to, to blow it there at the end. It kind of ran out of, out of gas a little bit. But those are the exception. That is not the rule when Appalachian State plays Power 5 teams. If you go back I mean, and... I, if, I, if I remember correctly, haven't we played them uh, before, after they beat Michigan? In 2007, I believe we... Uh, was it 07 we played them? I believe we played them sometime after they beat them. Oh, yeah, we've played them since they beat Michigan. I don't think it was 07, but we've played them in those intervening, what, that intervening decade or so. There's, we have played them, and we had no issues with them. Um, and if you go back and look at their last five games against Power 5 opponents, they've been outscored a total of 203 to 53, and which is essentially an average of about 40 to 10. Okay. Yeah, most of those points came in the Tennessee game for them. Well, yeah, I mean, they, so they beat Tennessee. They lost to Tennessee 20 to 13 in overtime. Uh, they lost to Miami. I think it was 45 to 10. Um, I don't have the teams for them. They lost one of the games 41 to 10. They lost 52 to 14 against Power Five team and 45 to six. So th- that's that's generally the rule. Okay, the Michigan thing that was a once in a lifetime scenario. Okay, that's that's definitely the exception. They came close against Tennessee. Absolutely, I think part of that was Tennessee had been reading their press clippings. No one was really talking about Appalachian State. They just recently moved up into uh, the uh, FBS level into the Sun Belt couple years back so the conversation they kind of that conversa- conversation had kind of died down but now it's it picked back up after that tennessee game even after the miami thing people still are now at least if you look at what people were saying throughout the offseason there is this perception at least what i perceive to be the perception that appalachian state is this giant killer of sorts and I, I don't think that's really true if you look at the facts i mean 40 to 10 is is the average game against a power five opponents and that sounds I mean, about I'm right for a, group of a five giant teams. killer i'm honestly going with someone like boise yeah, Boise would be much more of a giant killer. Sure, I mean they've they've played with the big boys and won multiple games against big boys. Not just gotten close, but won, and we know that firsthand. Although we did beat the crap out of them in 05. It was an awesome game. Jared Z- Jared Zabransky, remember him? Z man throwing all those picks all over the place. Open that 05 season. Oh, that was a little, that a little before your time. How old were you then? No, I remember that. You remember? Yeah, that was that was fun. That was a fun game, man. That was a fun one. Uh, but yeah, so I, I wanted to start with that. Like, yes, okay, we should respect them, right? Yeah, and I think you've heard Kirby speak about them not a lot, quite a bit. Yeah, the, I'm, I'm not sitting here saying Bush like, hey, yeah, I'm not saying we're just going to roll our hat out there and beat this team. Uh, I think we should we should handle them easily, but we should respect them. They they are a good program. The thing is that this is a program that knows how to win. They're used to winning, so they deserve our respect. But I'll say what I also said on the Scott and the Enemy series: while they deserve our respect, in no way should we fear them. Okay, and I, 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 now I'm not saying there's a lot of people in the fan base that are scared of Appalachian State, but there are some people out there that are just nervous, Nancy. And I'm, I'm one of those guys. I, I'm, t- I'm, I'm a child of Larry Munson, dude. I, I'm that kind of just worry war, pessimistic guy. I just think, oh my God, the sky is falling. I, that is me. Okay, when, when you're talking about Georgia football, absolutely 100. percent I, I prepare for the worst. I assume the worst and hope for the best. That's just how I roll with it. And because if you get something that's better than the worst, then it's, it's positive, right? Um, but. Even I am not scared of Appalachian State. I know I recognize they could beat us, but it would take it would. I think this game is more about us than it is about them. Does that make sense? Yeah. I think if if we come out and we play like crap, if we bring our C minus or D game and they come out with their A game, sure they could beat us. But that's about us. Like we're going to have to play to their level in order for them to beat us. Even if they bring their A game, that's not good enough to beat us at our A or maybe even our B game. Unless we just come out and completely wet the bed, which is possible. I mean, we've we've done that before. It's possible, but I think this game and how it turns out is more about us and what we bring to the table in Week One versus what Appalachian State brings to the table. If that makes any sense to you guys out there. But uh, all right, let's move into some more specifics by looking uh, first at the Appalachian State offense. So, Kurt, uh, I'm gonna let you take this first, and I'll kind of jump in there. But if you're looking at this Appalachian State offense, what stands out to you? You know, if we're talking about schemes, players. Um, the biggest thing to me is I just I'm gonna focus really on Taylor Lamb. Yeah. Um, I think the biggest thing is about the way he plays, um, what he can bring to the table, and the fact that he's a little bit mobile, and just those type of quarterbacks can just make them a little bit more dangerous. How mobile is he? Because I, I, I he's you're not right. Very mobile, but he's agile. Yeah, he's he's. I guess the way I would describe it is that he's mobile enough, right? Like he's he's mobile enough to pose a threat that you yeah, have to respect. He's mobile enough to extend a play. Sure, yeah. I mean, you're you're completely right. He is a mobile guy. Like he's not a let's he's not a Cam Newton, Nick Marshall type guy. You know, using some F, using SEC as a frame of reference there. But he's mobile enough to pose a threat with his legs, which he will force us to respect that threat. And what that does is that gives them the ability to feature some option elements in their offense. So this is not an option team, 
but they absolutely work some option elements into what they do offensively. And a large part of that is Taylor Lamb and having the ability to, to use his legs as a threat, no doubt. But what about through the air? Is, is Does he scare you through the air? Not at all. I mean, the guy, he, he, I, you, he's very inaccurate, maybe 20 yards plus. He's, he's more of an intermediate passer that yeah. just tries to move the chains. Yeah, he's... His game is all about efficiency. I mean, if you look at him from last year, he was 60% passer, which isn't superbly efficient, but that's solid. That's solid efficiency there. Threw for only 2,200 yards last year, seven yards in attempt. Did have a 15-8 to eight touchdown interception ratio. To your point about uh, his his uh, legs, he uh, had five hundred, just a shade over 500 yards rushing last year, 5.7 yards of carry, and nine touchdowns on the ground. Though if you look at the splits of his numbers last year and look at the game log, the vast majority of his yardage totals on the ground came in the last four to five games of the year. He wasn't really, uh, he was always a threat, but he didn't rack up big yardage totals on the ground until the last couple games of the year where they really kind of opened it up. Now, we'll see what happens this year. Every year is it's different animal. It's a new animal, different team. Some of the personnel carries over, sure, but it's still it's a different team. Uh, so it's going to be interesting to see how much they use his legs. I, I, but I think it's fair to assume at this point, right, if the end of the season – Using his legs, maybe they feel like they found something there, and I think we could. Yeah, well, I don't know about that because at the end of the year before, he was using his legs quite a bit, and they kind of went from it away from it at the beginning of the season. But um, I think depending on the weather, it's going to have a lot to dictate too. I mean, if we know there's a weather, uh, you know, rain or any bad weather, he's not the type of guy. I, I honestly don't think he has big hands. I don't think he's going to be able to complete the many passes. That the the one thing that could change is if we were able to, you know more or less play a uh, kind of like what we do against uh, North Carolina and teams like that where you won't see us get many sacks but we're not going to allow him to get Yeah, mush rush is what we call it, mush rush where we kind of yeah, just contain him. Yeah, we just kind of contain there. But yeah, I mean, and a lot of what they do, I mean, there's always going to be in-game adjustments. So a lot of what they do with him in this game I think it's going to depend on how we come out and attack them. Because this is, I mean, you know, I mean, I know we have a lot of guys coming back, but again, it's a new season, so there's no tape to go on for the 2017 season. Of course, we're going to watch what we did last year, but I think they're going to wait and see how we uh, attack them and then kind of adjust their game plan from there like any good team would. But if you look at, kind of pull up the numbers here, so, you know, he didn't, he did not, before week eight of last year, he did not have more than 28 yards rushing in a single game. Then in week eight against Southern, he had 94 yards, and the next two weeks only had 37 yards, 12 yards. But then you look at week 11 on, he had 92 yards rushing week 11 against Louisiana Monroe, 71 yards against New Mexico State, and then 126 yards on the ground against Toledo. Uh, so he kind of picked it up there towards the end. So it's just going to be interesting. I, I, maybe they feel like they found something late in the season with his legs, and it carries over this year. Maybe not. We'll see. It's a, it is a new season, so it'll be interesting to see how that kind of plays out. But I'm with you on uh, his arm talent, man. Look. Taylor Lamb is very good for that offense. Okay, for what they want to do offensively, Taylor Lamb is a great fit. Offensively, they they can use tempo from time to time, but that's not what they do uh, on the, on the regular. They are more so a ball control offense predicated on making good decisions and, and avoiding those debilitating turnovers. Uh, they're not going to win a ton of shootouts. They averaged about thirty ish points a game last year, so they can score points, but they're not going to win a ton of shootouts. That's not what this offense is made to do. So. And that, with that being the case, they have to maximize every single possession. And in that context, a four-year starter at quarterback who makes good, smart decisions that protects the football, that's extremely valuable. And that's what Taylor Lamb is, a four-year starter, high football IQ, comes from the, the Lamb family here in Georgia um, that's all chock full of coaches. He'll probably be a coach at some point in his life if you look at his family tree there. So this guy knows football. He's been around football his entire life. He's smart, makes good decisions. All of that, all the whole co- coaching son cliches – all that rings true for Taylor Lamb. But they are a ball control offense for the most part. And as that being the case, it's extremely important for them to stay ahead of the chains and out of those third law situations. And when they get in those third law situations, and look, guys, it's clearly important for every team to stay out of third law situations. But it's even more so important for a team like Appy State because when they get in those third law situations where they have to hit passes down the field and defenses know they have to hit passes down the field – they really struggle because, like you said with Taylor, with, with Lamb, for all the good things he does with that offense, he has absolutely zero arm t- power whatsoever. He has no arm. He has a noodle arm. Like that term, wouldn't you agree? That kind of absolutely applies with him. Yeah, I mean, he has a noodle arm. He's a major liability when they are forced to hit balls down the field. Now, when they stay ahead of the chains, then he's a great player for them. 
he fits exactly what they want. But when they find themselves in third and long situations, he is a liability. Uh, it doesn't mean that he can't hit a shot here and there on early downs. But like I said, when defenses know that they have to pass, he just is not equipped to get that job done. His balls hang and hang and hang some more in the air before reaching their target. So it depends on what we're able to do defensively against them. If we can force him into those long situations, then it'll be a long day for that offense. But if they can stay ahead of the chains and get a couple yards on first down and win first down like that, then it might be a long day for our defense. We might actually come down to the wire like Phil Steele said. All right, who else are you looking at on that offense outside of Lamb? Um, the running back. Yeah, Jalen Moore. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, Jalen Moore, I mean, he's the he's the returning Sunbelt Offensive Player of the Year last year. Now, he, he split That's time a little bit. Right? Yeah, I mean, he, he wasn't the starter coming this season. If you remember back to that Tennessee game, I'm sure a lot of you guys watched it. It was a guy named Marcus Cox, who was the – he was a senior last year. He, he, he was their bell cow. He was the guy. Uh, but he got hurt early in the season. He might have actually got hurt in that Tennessee game. But it was early in the season that he got hurt. So Jalen Moore has to step in. He has to enter the, enter the picture here. And he just had a huge year. I mean, he had – over 1,400 yards rushing last year, six yards a carry, ten touchdowns on the year. So, I think he was a actually I think he was a sophomore last year. But he was a young guy last year, uh, and he's back. I mean, again, returning offensive player of the year in the Sun Belt Conference. Does this guy give you any concern? I mean, yeah, because he can make something happen. But at the same time, uh, I gotta say the offensive line thing and the defensive speed is one thing that makes me feel a little bit better. What about their offensive line? Uh, they're not big, they're not movers. No, what? So what? Then what are they gonna like? What? What? If you don't have guys up front that can move people, I think you're right. What do they have to do offensively to move the football? You're gonna try to see them spread you out. Yeah, absolutely. That's it's kind of a it, I don't. It's not a spread option. It's not that, but it, it is a it's a it's a spread to run team. Okay, kind of like it's it, in some ways it's not Gus Malzahn's offense, but if you think about Gus Malzahn's traditional scheme, kind of the spread to run offense where he spreads you out but runs power football. And uses those principles to, to attack defenses. That's a lot of what they do. Now, they might work in a little more deception, and there's a little bit more uh, option elements that they use in their offense at Appalachian State. But it's similar. They're, they spread you out, and they want to run the football. Um, and you're right. Their offensive line is really, really undersized right now. Um, but I think that's kind of by design to a degree. I think they know they can't get those huge guys, so they kind of tailor offense to fit that. They are a run-heavy football team. They run the ball, at least last season, they ran the ball 62% of the time. Uh, and when they do pass, it's heavy play action. I mean, I would say, I mean, I don't have, I didn't chart it, chart the play action passes or calculate those numbers. But just if I had to just put a number on it and just completely guess here, I would say at least 75% of the time that they drop back to pass, it's off play action. Because everything for them comes off the run. They run the ball 62% of the time last season. And, and their offense, the whole scheme is based, it's all, it's all about quickness. Whether it's quarterback, whether it's the running back, whether it's the offensive line like you mentioned. Uh, uh, up front, they're heavy on the zone schemes. Like you said, smaller, quicker offensive line that does a good job zone blocking and getting uh, – they, they did a really good job reaching, reaching defensive tackles and getting leverage on defenders. And then you add in Jalen Moore to the equation. He's very quick, and he's very adept at reading the zone lanes. Uh, he reminded – if I had – remember Chris Johnson from years back? I think he went to ECU and played for the Titans for a couple years. And for a while, he was one of the best backs in the league, one of the, one of the fastest backs in the league. He, I'm not saying he's Chris Johnson level good, but I'm saying he, his skill set reminds me. Chris Johnson was one of those guys that really worked well in the zone blocking schemes. He'd find that cutback lane and use that acceleration speed, that burst, boom, and just bust you. Jalen Moore runs a lot like that. He, he's really good at reading the zone lanes, finding the hole, plant his foot, explode upfield. He also runs with deceptive power. He, he's got some power there, but that's not his game. He, quickness is his game. So that's typically what they want to do um, offensively. And it works well for them for the most part. Um, they got a couple receivers out wide, Shaden Metters, Darrington Evans, a couple guys to watch there at the receiver position. They went up huge numbers. Metters put up 716 yards receiving last year, about 16 yards a catch, though. So he's their big play guy if they do go deep. Um, Darrington Evans, only 217 yards receiving, but he was a he was a freshman last year. And uh, he's a guy that, that, that they like to feature in the return game. He's kind of an explosive player for them. So just a couple other names for you guys to be paying attention to as you are taking in this game. All right, let's flip it over to the defense side of the ball. Kurt, on defense for Appalachian State, what do you see on this team? Um, more than anything, I think one thing they try to do is they actually try to – what it reminds me of is Ole Miss's scheme. Absolutely. Just like we talked about how quickness is the name of the game for them on offense, it's the same thing on defense for this team, right? Yeah. Because 
that makes sense for if you think about some of these group of five teams, are you going to be able to get the big hosses up front consistently? You're in, you're out. No, not consistently. No, you're not. You might get a guy here or there, but you're not going to be able to get those guys consistent. So it makes sense for you to find some guys who may be undersized a little bit, but are fast, quick guys, and try to just create disruption in the backfield, create chaos. And that's kind of what this Appalachian State defense does. And I think the Ole Miss example is a really good example. I think there's a lot of similarities there uh, between those two teams. But if you look at them, like I said, it's just like the offense, about speed and quickness for them. That's the name of the game for this defense. They are undersized, but they play fast, and they can play silent to silent. Uh, and Kirby, I think he said in one of the press conferences earlier this week that this might be the, the quickest defense, silent silent, that we play all season. I don't know if I'm ready to go that far, but it's – I would I think he's trying to give them some respect. Yeah, I mean, and as he should, you know, they, they deserve respect. But I, I don't know if they're the fastest team that we'll play, the quickest team we'll play all season. But I, w- I will say that they're one of the quickest teams we'll play all season because that's what they – it's by design. That's what they're shooting for. That's the kind of personnel they're looking for in recruiting to fit this scheme. So – with that being the case, look, they're going to probably create a few negative plays. They're going to they're gonna try to penetrate in the backfield, uh, create some of those negative plays against us, and that's probably going to happen a couple times. So don't, like, freak out, you know, sometime in the first quarter if they get a couple tackles for a loss because they're going to be shooting those gaps. They're going to try to use that quickness because they know they can't match up physically man-to-man. They're going to try to use that quickness to their advantage like you would imagine they would. So, Kurt, if, if you're our offensive coordinator, if you're Jim Chaney, if that's what this defense looks like, and this is a good defense last year, okay? Let me make sure you guys understand. This defense was 17th nationally in the country last year. Now, granted, there were only two Power 5 teams on the on the schedule, uh, Tennessee and, and uh, Miami. But still, they were 17th nationally in total defense, giving them only 330 yards a game. They were also in the top 20 in yards per play. Or, yeah, in yards per play. They were top 20. They were number 19 there. Uh, they were really good against the run. Uh, although they were undersized, they gave up under four yards a carry. They were actually top 20 nationally in rush defense on 125 yards a game. Uh, they were top 10 in scoring defense. They gave up under 18 points a game last year. Uh, red zone defense, this is where they really excelled. They were eight nationally. You remember as bad as we were in red zone defense last year? They were the inverse. They were eighth nationally in red zone defense. Only gave up touchdowns 51% of the time. Okay, so that's one of the reasons why they were such a, a, a great scoring defensive football unit last year in the top 10. They just got off, they, they were forcing either field goals or turn the ball over inside the red zone. So this was a good defense last year. So if this is a good defense last year, they like to use quickness, like to use speed on the field. If you're Jim Chaneker, how do you attack that defense? Um, I'm honestly attacking them head on because I think the thing is with the speed, the silent, silent. If you try to go on the edges, then you play into the strengths. But if you go straight at them, um, then it's going to be harder. I mean, we've seen it before in any any level of sports. If you have smaller linebackers, smaller players, then you take away their their strengths when you go right at them. Yeah, their strength is running side on the sideline, so it would not make a ton of sense for us to attack them that way. I'm not saying that we can't. Yeah, like if you attack them with bubble screens and all those things like teams can do, then they're gonna they're they're gonna stop you. I mean, you want that's not going to. Well, that's be playing into their hands. Players. That's playing yeah, exactly. into their hands. That's playing right into what they want, but if you go right at them, I mean, they might stop you the first drive or so because that they'll be, you know, they'll be they'll wired, be jacked up, pumped yeah. up, yeah, and that might be their game plan. But in the second, third, fourth quarter, that's when you know really going right at them is going to be t- taking them out. Yeah, look, I'm not sitting here advocating like don't ever try any bubble screens, yeah, don't I try mean, to run the ball. Yeah, like you're going to have to attack them on the edge. Yeah, but a majority of it, you're also going to. have just need to go right at them instead of being cute. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you just you've got you got to keep them off balance and mix things in here or there. But let's not use the perimeter as our uh, primary way to attack this team. Let's not do it extensively. Uh, I think I'm a, that's exactly what I have written down here too. Kurt. The best way to attack a quick, aggressive defense who relies on speed is to run the football right at them. Because what is their weakness? They're undersized. Okay, we have a size advantage against this team. We have a significant size and strength advantage against this defense. And I know our offensive line is, I mean, well, it remains to be seen how they're going to perform this year, but, I mean, there's still question marks there. I, I, I get that. last year our biggest problem, even with our offensive line, was just we couldn't stop bigger people. I mean, yeah, you say we struggled against Nichols. But Nichols had some big D linemen. Like some of those guys from last chance you, they were not small guys. Yeah, um, so what's that, was, that was the biggest Ollie, thing. And so, Ronald Ollie? Yeah, yeah Ronald and uh, Andrew. I mean, people yeah. like that we struggled with because they're a little bit bigger and stronger, but that's not who App State is. That's not against the teams that were undersized up front last year, like, I don't know, South Carolina, Kentucky to a degree, although they did have Even big old Matt Elam. Yeah, those undersized, yeah, exactly. TCU is another really good parallel for this Appalachian State defense. They're very similar to what TCU wants. They're undersized, they know they can't recruit those big guys consistently. 
Um, so they, they rely on speed and quickness. And look what we did against TCU. Now, this is a, an offensive unit that was not great running the football all year, particularly with, with the issues up front on the offensive line. But at least in the second half, we wore, tennis, we wore TCU down and had our way with them on the ground. So I think you might be see something similar uh, this game. And think about that TCU game. We didn't have a ton of success early in that game, right? Because they were jacked up to, or at least running the football. They were jacked up to play an SEC game. It was the bowl game, all that stuff. But we stuck with it because we knew that we had a size advantage. And eventually, that size advantage was going to wear on them and the floodgates were going to open. And lo and behold, we had a huge second half on the ground. So I think you might see something similar in this game. Again, not saying that you can't ever attack the edge and just completely put that off limits. That's ridiculous. you got to keep them off balance. But let's let's. We're, I think we're going to we're, we're gonna make... Uh, we're going to make the most of attacking them between the tackles. I think that's really where you attack this thing because I think that's where their weakness lies. All right. Um, now, I want to do this a little bit differently this year. I'm going to look at – we're going to look at two sides of this to this picture. We're going to look at, first, reasons why we should be concerned about this game. And then we'll look at the flip side, reasons why we should be optimistic about this game. So, Carol, let's start with the reasons to be concerned. We've mentioned a couple of these, but let's just kind of summarize them real quick. If you're looking at it from our perspective – why should we? Why should our fan base? Why should our program be concerned about this game? Because we have a fan base that's used to being let down. That's it. There's nothing tangible there. I mean, I think that's one big reason. I, I mean, think you that's, have all these that's people, true. Especially any, any recruiting board, anything you have, all these fans just, oh my God, the sky's falling. We're playing at State. We're going to lose, and it's not even. We haven't even got to the strength of our schedule yet. Yeah, I mean, um, there's there's some conditioning there, and I I'll be I'm guilty as charged on that. I am sometimes, but this this game I, I'm not. It's just the um, uncertainty with our offensive line right there. I mean, Kirby's even said you might see some uh, rotations in the first game, so you know we have an unset offensive line, um, which can make you a little nervous, I would say. But at the same, mm-hmm. and then um, I think also, I mean, you're, what we're expecting to try to see the change in the offensive line. I mean, the offensive scheme with Cheney. Yeah, very, and I'm curious to see how much we reveal in this opening game. Are we going to yeah, try to be vanilla? The biggest thing is just our uh, our offensive identity as a whole. I mean, yeah. who we're going to be, our personnel. Do like we try that. to be vanilla and win this game because we're just bigger and badder and better, more talented, and then hold off some of the new schemes for Notre Dame so we don't want to show everything? Or are we? Or the, the flip side is we want to show everything that we have new to force Notre Dame to prepare for all of that because it's so hard with the 20-hour rule to actually prepare for a bunch of stuff that we throw out there in one week. So I don't know. It'd be inter- but you're right. It's interesting to see what we do with that schematically. Yeah, uh, I mean, I agree with everything you said there. Um, you got anything else? Um, I mean, I think you could say Malcolm Parrish, the loss of him. But at the same sure. time, it's not like we're facing a team like Notre Dame or someone this week that has a passing attack and good receivers. That's yeah. not App State. Yeah, I mean, I think the biggest reason we'll miss Parrish if he doesn't play this week, he probably won't. Well, I don't know if it's he's at least I haven't heard him being officially. I would, I would expect him to come out. Yeah, uh, Notre Dame. Yeah, game. that, that makes more sense. Take a yeah, that makes more sense. Uh, I could see him maybe dressed out or something, but not actually playing. Right. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, I think if he does not play, the biggest area we'll miss him is just tackling because this team is they they're gonna want to get the ball on the edges on the perimeter. And we need a guy out there that's will, a willing and a very good tackler, and that's what Malcolm Parrish is. I mean, that's the biggest strength he brings to the football team. Uh, so I think that that yeah that that could be something to look at. For me, I'm looking at more big picture things here. And I mentioned this at the outset here. This team is used to winning. Okay, not necessarily at the Power Five level against Power Five teams because they're not a Power Five team. But this is a winning football program, a very proud football program, a long time FCS team. Uh, multiple national championships, and they've had success. They moved up to the group of five in the Sun Belt and the FBS level. They are used to winning football games, and they expect to win. And maybe not so much when they play a, a power five team. Maybe they do. I don't know what's going on in the psyche there. But this is a team. This is not a perennial downtrodden team that's just looking for a payday. Yeah, I'm sure they want to get a payday, but they also want to win this football game, and they're going to believe they have a chance. You know, when when Charleston Southern, a team like that, rolls into town. When Louisiana Lafayette rolls into town, do they really think they have a chance to win that game? Not compared to what App State Right, does. yeah. I mean, they might think, oh, yeah, the coach is telling you, you got to believe, guys. you got to believe you can do this. You're just as good. But in the back of their minds, they know, yeah, you know, we're, no, we're not. Whereas Appalachian State, I, I, they might actually think that they belong in the in the SEC and against guys like we have that we're going to roll out there. So that is something to keep in you – know, they're not going to – I don't think they're going to fold. You know what I mean? Uh, that's because they're, they're used to being in that winning program. I think – also, the Taylor Lamb effect. Uh, this guy is a four-year starter. 
He's, he's a football guy, comes from a football family. He's from Georgia. You know he wants to come out here guns blazing and make a name or just leave a legacy. You know, beating Georgia at Sanford Stadium his senior year, you know he wants to do that. But that, that could be a double-edged sword, you know, where he obviously wants to play well, but could he be putting too much pressure on himself? Uh, what affects his play? I don't know. We'll see what the guy's what he's made of when he comes out there on Saturday afternoon or Saturday evening. But he's a good player, man. Like his arm talent isn't great, but like I said earlier, when we're talking about their offense, he fits very much what they want to do offensively. And he's smart. He's a good leader. He's a he's a stable force for them out there on the field. So that gives you somewhat cause for concern there. I don't want to make him out to be you know Tom Brady because he's not. I mean, he's not. But he's good for what they do. Uh, what about the Notre Dame look ahead? Because you you saw those pictures right during the off season or during the summer months, uh, where they show, where, you know they're taking some Snapchat or Instagram stuff, putting them on those social media sites uh, with those videos. The guys lifting weights. Did you see that one? I think, I think maybe it was somebody squatting on the squat racks. They had Notre Dame. They had that game was the the page the poster they had up there on the uh, the squat racks. Did you see that? Yeah. Yeah. Right. I think most of us saw that. So is is that a real thing? Is that something to be worried about? Us worrying about Notre Dame too early, kind of looking no, ahead. Because, I mean, we put we've talked about App State enough too. I mean, it's not like we totally overlooked them. I mean, yeah, you you look towards your big game and at Notre Dame, but at the same time, we haven't passed over. I mean, Kirby's hard on App State a lot, um, and you've heard the players talk about App State and give them respect. So I don't think it's the fact that we're overlooking it. But are they really buying that, or is that just lip service and coach speak? I mean, even if it's lip service, you're putting enough into it to speak to enough to talk about him. I mean, you didn't see Butch Jones give him much respect. That's true. That's true. That's true. Yeah. And Butch I, Jones and them are having higher aspirations coming into the season than we are coming into this season. I think it's, yeah, that's true. It's it's natural, I think, or they were more of a consensus favor than we are. Yeah. Uh, but I think it's natural for teams to look ahead to a huge, like, once-in-a-lifetime type game, literally for University of Georgia against Notre Dame. I think it's fair and understandable they would look forward to that and maybe potentially look ahead. That's natural. But I think you're right. Uh, Kirby's at least publicly, he's tried to make it a point. Hey, we can't look past this team. We got to worry about past. He's, he's probably grilled them. In oh, the sure. And that, that to this, to me, this is a coaching thing. If this team comes out flat, like that's on the coaches. Well, and also that, I mean, look at Kirby. I mean, he can harp on them last year against Nickel State and people like that. I mean, they have a history, so he's got something to harp on them about. Yeah, absolutely. So I, I don't think that's as big of a deal as some. I mean, there's not. I don't know. If, I'm not saying a lot of people are saying this, but I, I heard some people say, yeah, I hope we're not looking ahead to Notre Dame. Sure, I hope we're not looking ahead to Notre Dame, but I don't think that's going to be the case. I think Kirby's going to have their full attention. Um, all right, and the last thing here, I mean, I don't know if I'm concerned about it. I'm just going to ask you this question. I, the, the forecast has changed somewhat. I, I'm, I'm so superstitious, guys. I'm just going to knock on wood again. Uh, God, please keep it raining away. Uh, but if it does happen to rain, okay, let's just, again, assume the worst, hope for the best. But we're going to assume the worst here and that it's going to be raining. Does that concern you? How does that affect this game? Um, it doesn't concern me as much as it that much because I think the biggest thing is the different. I mean, it's not like we're a speed team trying to go out there and outrun teams. That that's not going to be our our attack, especially against App State. It might hurt App State more than it hurts us because they're going to be a team that's trying to spread you out. Yep. and try to use their speed. Yeah, they rely more on quickness and zone schemes. And zone schemes are heavy on cutbacks and quick cuts and things like that. And Whereas we want to run the ball right so at that's you. Why it's Exactly. So if it rains, they're probably more affected than we are. Yeah, I mean, we'll probably rely on the pass. I don't know if we'll rely on it more than – but we'll try to throw the ball probably more than they will. I mean, they are a very run-heavy team. They were a more run-heavy team than we were last year. Uh, but, again, new year. But, again, like I think how we want to attack the, a defense, uh, particularly this defense, how I would attack them, running right at them with isos, counters, things of that nature, running powers, um, a couple traps here and there, using H-backs, things like that. I think that that would set us up for more success as we're not going to rely on, okay, press the line, press the line, press the line, find the cutback lane, put your foot in the ground and cut, okay, explode up field. That's the kind of thing where you can lose your footing and lose a little bit of quickness there. So I don't think, it, honestly, it's going to affect either team all that much. I think we both probably want to try to run the football. Um, but eh, if it favored anyone, which I'm not sure it really does, I guess it would maybe favor us a little bit more than them. All right, let's flip it over to the other side here. So those are reasons to potentially be concerned about this game. But let's kind of look at this glass half full. What are a couple of reasons for us to be optimistic about our chances against Appalachian State? Um, I think our defense gives us one reason. I mean, I think that 
the way to beat if you were going to challenge us, you would have to have big receivers and a big big passing game, and that's not what they have. Yeah, I think that's a fair point. Yeah, I that's exactly one of the things that I have here. I think that our front seven is the strength of our team, right? Uh, that's at least the strength of our defense. I don't think they can threaten us through the air without first getting their running game going. They can threaten us if, if they can stay, you know, in second and short, second and medium, third and medium, third and short. Yeah, then they can threaten us with, through the air because they can keep us off balance. All right, they might keep us in base looks and then throw the football, and in the matchups don't favor us. But I don't think they can threaten us through the air without getting that running game going and staying ahead of the chains. And with our front seven being the strength of this defense, I don't think the Appalachian State is going to be able to get their ground going consistently against that front seven. I think they're going to find themselves in more third long situations than they would like, which definitely, like you said, plays into our hands. Because, I mean, in that situation, we know they're going to throw the ball. We'll be okay. For sure. All right, what else are you looking at? Give me some more reasons. Um, I think, honestly, the return of Nick Chubb, it seems like he's closer to 100% the fact that we've got a little bit more experience coming back this year than we did last year. Yeah, I think I think that's big for sure. And, and also, I mean, the comfortability of uh, year two under our coaches. I mean, I, there's just a lot of things. Yeah, I, I, I'll go back to what you said about uh, the the better roster, improved depth. I think improved depth is a big reason to be optimistic here because having more quality depth, being able to roll in more guys, whether it's on the offensive line, whether it's on the defensive line, whether it's in the defensive backfield, receiver, wherever it is, running back even, that improved depth, that's going to allow us to roll out different packages especially defensively, to match up against different schemes every week. So yeah, Appalachian State's going to try to use their quickness on offense, but we can counter that with quicker defensive packages of our own because we just have a variety of players to choose from that fit different schemes. So I think that's something that's going to help us here. Uh, I also, I mean, tell me if you disagree. I, I think you're with me on this. We have a significant size and strength advantage, like we mentioned, on both lines of scrimmage, right? Yeah. So, I mean, with that being the case, we should hopefully be able to hold up against their running attack, and then we should be able to run the football on them even if it rains, just based on the size and strength advantage. I mean, we're just a more talented football team, so um, there's plenty of reasons to be optimistic. And uh, look, we should be optimistic. We should win this game. There's no reason for us to lose this football game. Again, for us to lose this game, we're going to have to come out and just play like crap, okay? We're going to have to be flat and bring like a D-level, F-level game. And I I don't think that's going to be the case this week. All right, we're going to get into the picks of the week here in just a minute. But real quick, one last thing about this Appalachian State game, Kurt. If you had to pick one key to this game, key to victory for us against Appalachian State, what are you going to identify? Um, red zone efficiency. Defensively or offensively? Both. Both? Stopping them from scoring and scoring when we get chances? <laughs> That's a good recipe to win, right? For sure. For me, uh, I'm going to say this. I agree with you, man. That's that's important. That's important in every game for sure. But for for this particular game, I'm going to say hitting big play opportunities when they present themselves to put this team away. All right, we're going to have some chances, guys. They're going they're going. That's what this defense does. They're fast, quick. They take chances, and we're going to have chances to hit balls vertically down the field and have big plays in the running game potentially. So when those opportunities for big plays present themselves, we can't be like last year and waste them. We have to hit them early and often and put this team away put this team away early because if we let them hang around like Tennessee did to open the season last year that's when a team like this starts believing but if you hit those big plays early and put them away and take away all hope of possibly win this game then that's I'm not going to say they're going to fold but there's going to be some I don't want to say maybe not apathy but they're not going to be playing as hard they won't be as fast they won't be hitting as hard because that will is going to be taken from them so when those opportunities put themselves early Hit them. We have to hit them and put them away. All right, let's roll into the predictions. We're going to do this every single week. We'll keep track of it all year. Uh, we kind of <laughs> we try to keep track of it last year, then we kind of fell off on that. But this year, I promise, we will keep track of this, and we will determine who is the more knowledgeable football man on this show. Is it Curtis or is it myself? Probably Curtis. Um, but no, we'll do our best with this, guys. So we're going to start, well, obviously, with the pr- predictions, we're going to go through the SEC games. If there's a big uh, national game, we'll also talk about that as well. But most of the big games this opening weekend deal with the SEC. We're involved in that in some capacity. We're going to start with South Carolina versus NC State on Saturday afternoon, a neutral site, supposed to be a neutral site, in Charlotte, North Carolina. Kurt, how do you see that one playing out? I'm going to NC State. Curtis is going NC State. Why NC State? I just think they're better. Just simple as that? 
I, yeah, more I talented right just, now. Their defense is going to give South Carolina troubles. Yeah, I agree. I think South, like we talked about this in the prediction show earlier in the week. I think South Carolina is going to be a better football team than they were a year ago, more talented, more depth. Uh, but there's still some deficiencies, a lot of deficiencies on the team, particularly on their defensive side of the football. Their offensive line, I'm I'm gonna I'm not gonna believe in that offensive line until I see it. Kind of like how I feel about our offensive line. And NC State has one of the best defensive lines in the country, uh, with guys like Bradley Chubb, B.J. Hill up front. This is a bad matchup for South Carolina. I I, I think Jay Billings a good quarterback. They have some really good skill weapons. Uh, you know, with guys like Brian Edwards, Hayden Hurst, Debo Samuel. Uh, but NC State, I'm a big believer in the, in the trench. I think more often than not, you win and lose games in the trenches. And NC State is just strong in the trenches right now. So for that reason, I'm going to go NC State as well. All right, next game here. And then this one, i gone back and forth on this. So there's been a bunch of developments over the past. Actually, it's a new development today uh, with Jordan Scarlett being out for this game. It's part of that check cashing scandal scheme, whatever it was. Florida versus Michigan in a big game. Big Ten versus SEC in Jerry's world. So how do you I'm see that playing out? All right, you going Michigan? Is it just because of the suspensions? Uh, probably more than likely, yeah. Then right. I see Florida just announced Felipe Bay Franks will start for him. So I mean, he's very. He, they just announced that. Boom! Breaking yeah, news on the Glory J podcast. On Wednesday night, when, so, six thirty-two p.m. as we're recording this. Oh. And so with that, I mean, he doesn't have any experienced weapons. He's just not going to do it. Felipe Franks, man. So long, Malik Zaire. Oh, I don't know. We'll see if Frank, I mean, Florida's been in a situation where they've had to go to different quarterbacks throughout the year, past couple years. So, interesting to see how that plays out. But, look, you got no Antonio Callaway. He's the biggest playmaker on that offense. No Jordan Scarlett. He's probably the second biggest playmaker on that offense. And this is already an offense that's been abysmal for the past, I mean, what, in the in the, in the hundreds, in, the, in total offense, the past couple of seasons. And then you lose your two top playmakers against Michigan and all oh, the famous Jim Harbaugh. That's tough, man. And this defense, like this is not the Florida defense from last year. We've talked about this plenty of times throughout the offseason. This is not the Florida defense from last year. They have some players, but they are not as talented as they were. They're simply not. I know Michigan has like 18 starters gone from last year, but they have a returning quarterback. You got Wilton Spate back. Um, this one, man, oh, God, this to me – this is so hard to pick because there's so many unknowns. With Florida, so many guys being out. you got a new quarterback. Michigan's got 18 starters they're replacing. A lot of unknowns on that side of the ball or on, on, on that side of the equation. I, I don't know, man. I, I guess that Florida's got some bad mojo goals, just kind of heading downhill. I'm going to go with Michigan on this one. Uh, don't feel super confident either way, but I think Michigan's the team to go with on this one. All right, Tennessee on Monday night, Labor Day night, playing – the nerds, the maggots from the joke by Cove, Georgia Tech. So, Kurt, how do you see that one going down? Oh, um, see, I'm having trouble with this one because with the loss of Kirkland, I think that's I really going yeah. to really affect them. Um, I still think I'm going to go Tennessee. What is it that gives Tennessee the edge? I think they still have some solid defensive depth uh, at the defensive line position. I mean, look, Tennessee's uh, more talented, right? Yeah, and, and they've had all se- off season. Yeah, Tennessee's more talented. Although I will say that the triple option is the talent neutralizer. We know that, unfortunately, at least well last year, but whatever. Uh, but I'm big on this when, and it, it's not it's not a hundred percent. You can't say with a hundred percent certainty. It doesn't happen a hundred percent of the time. But the vast majority of the time, when teams have more than one week to prepare for Tech, whether it's a bye week or the bowl season or the entire offseason like this in a, in a season opener, they're better equipped to handle Tech. Because it's, it's not about like, – people always say that the, the, if the issue with stopping the triple option is people just – they can't play their assignments. you got to play assignment football. People don't play their assignments. They're not disciplined. And sure, that's the case for some teams. But the bigger issue is learning how to play their cut blocks. Learning how to play cut blocks in space. Guys that aren't used to having to do that. Having to do that. Now, defensive linemen are used to doing that all the time, but not down in and down out. Linebackers, guys in secondary, they're not used to doing that down in and down out. When you have an entire offseason to work on that, you should be okay. Now, you're not going to be able to run at the speed that Tech runs it, so you can maybe a little adjustment once you get into the game. But I think Tennessee would be much better equipped to handle this game as opposed to if it was like week five. Okay, I, I I think for that reason, although I have a lot of questions about Tennessee, Tech's defense is no good. Okay, Tech has very little talent. They just screw around with this triple option crap and somehow win some games. But Tennessee is the more talented team. 
I'm interested to see what they do with the quarterback position and who the playmakers emerge, what playmakers emerge on this team. But I think they'll be okay against this Tech offense or this Tech defense. And I think they've had enough time, even with Darren Kirkland being out at linebacker, right? which is a big loss. I agree. That kind of gives me a little pause, a reason to pause here and think about it. But I'm going to go with Tennessee, really because they had so much time to prepare. All right, next game here, LSU versus BYU, game that was supposed to be played in Houston. Uh, definitely thoughts to all the people in Houston. But now it's been moved to Louisiana, the Superdome in Nolens. Kurt, who's going to win this one? LSU. I mean, yeah, there's, I don't have to talk much about this one. I mean, if you, did you watch any of the BYU-Portland game last week, Portland State game? No, I didn't even know they were playing. Yeah, I watched, uh, I watched 20 minutes of it or so. They were not like, – you would think, okay, BYU-Portland State, BYU will kill them, right? The game ended up being 20-6, to six, and BYU had under 400 yards total offense. I mean, Tanner Mangum was leading that team at quarterback, and they just – they were not hitting all cylinders. Maybe it was just a first-week thing, you know, whatever. But that team is not that impressive, at least what I saw from them. LSU I don't think is going to be great this year. But this game, look, it's in New Orleans. It's in the Superdome. LSU is a better football team. Um, so I'm going to go with the Tigers there. All right, also on Sunday, the Aggies of Texas A&M will be traveling out west to Westwood to play the UCLA Bruins in the Rose Bowl. UCLA is going to be trying to return the favor. A&M beat them in College Station last year. How do you see this one playing out? I think I'm going to go with UCLA. God, we cannot have the same picks, dude. This is not – this can't happen. Uh, not believing in the Aggies? No. Because they got replacing so much, is that what it is? Yeah, I mean, I don't even know who their quarterback's going to be. They're losing Probably a lot offensively, yeah. and, and it's hard to replace Miles Garrett. Yeah, although his production wasn't, he was hurt some last year. But yeah, I mean, he's what number one pick in the draft, right? So I mean, he's definitely going to be a tough guy to replace. Uh, and they haven't been good defensively even with him. So be interesting to see here. I'm going to go UCLA. It's not so much the fact that it's in California or at the Rose Bowl because, I mean, look, it's, it's the Pac-12. I mean, there's some good teams out there, don't get me wrong, but their fan base is uh, it's not the most hostile environment, especially the Rose Bowl. Uh, they'll probably be jacked up for the first game of the season. But for me, it's all about Josh Rosen coming back from injury, injured most of last year. He'll probably be the best player on the field through most of the game. A&M's got there's just more uncertainty at the quarterback position, which, is, we, as we know, it's such a key position. Now, maybe A&M's got the answer. Maybe Nick Starkle's the answer. Uh, maybe Kellen Mond comes in and he's the answer. You know, maybe. But I think Josh Rosen's more of the known quantity right now. And in in the opening week game, which is so hard to predict because we haven't seen these teams. We saw them last year. We want to try to project forward. But going the more known quantities here, Josh Rosen is that guy. So I'm going to give him a slight edge in this game. Although I hope Anna beats him. Uh, all right. In Atlanta, Saturday night, the big one. Alabama, number one in the country in the AP preseason poll versus number three. Florida State. Who are you taking? I'm going Alabama. Jesus, dude. We had the exact same freaking picks. All right. This is going to be our tiebreak pick, though, all right? So you got Bama. I got Bama. What's the score going to be? Mm. 35 to 21. 35 21. All right. I'm going to go. Ah, man. That's a high scoring affair there. I'm going to go Bama 27 to 20. All right, 27-20, Bama. Uh, that'll be our tie break for this one, and we'll do it week by week. So whoever gets the most right week one gets one point, and then week two, so on and so forth. All right? All right, so, yeah, I mean, for Bama, here's what it is for me. My, the reason, the only reason I did not pick Florida State to be in the college football playoff, and they very well could. I All through the offseason, I thought that I would have them there. But that offensive line, man, and again, I don't know if they're going to be improved, but last year they almost got Francois destroyed. They almost got him decapitated multiple games. The Miami game, I mean, that was he was like a rag doll just getting just beaten alive back there. Just It was terrible. Um, and that wasn't the only game where you saw something like that. Maybe they'll be improved this year. But there's also a good chance they won't be that much improved. And with that offensive line versus an Alabama-level front seven – Dude, that's a nightmare matchup. Okay, I mean Francois might be just shivering right now, quaking in his boots. So for that for that reason and that reason alone, I think that's a matchup. I think that's the biggest matchup to watch in this game. I think Alabama is going to control the line of scrimmage, and I think they're going to win this football game. I will say, I think Florida State's defensive line of scrimmage is really good. They have some really talented pass rushers. You got Brian Burns, a guy that I really wanted us to get a couple years out of a couple years ago out of Florida. You got Josh Sweat going back from a little bit some injuries last year. Really good pass rushers. On the interior, they're losing some guys, 
on the interior there. So uh, I think it might be a draw with the Florida State defensive line versus Alabama defensive line or offensive line. But that Alabama D-line is that Florida State offensive line to me is the difference in the game. I'm going tied there. All right, that leaves us with the only game that really matters when you come down to it. And that is your Georgia Bulldogs versus the Appalachian State Mountaineers. Kurt, you got you guys know I do the confidence poll, confidence rating because I can't I can't pick a game. I, I can never be intellectually honest. I don't want to be intellectually honest, but I'll never pick against our team because I just I can't do it. But Kurt, I know you have no problem if you see it that way. So how do you see this one playing out? Um I see Georgia Losing forty to one seven. No, I'm kidding. I'm going Georgia yeah. winning um, thirty five to seventeen. All right, he's got dogs thirty five seventeen. What's the what's the difference? Is it going to be like you said? The, the key of the game is going to be red zone efficiency. Is that what's I think? Be the it are, I think we're going to be a little bit stronger than them. I think the grass will be a little bit of wet, which will take away their speed. And at the same time, I think our defense, um, their their offensive strength plays into our defensive strength. Yeah, I'm with you, man. Uh, on the confidence meter for me, I'm putting this one at an 8. I would love to go a 9 or 10, but they do deserve our respect. Uh, this is a winning program. This is a good F, this is a good group of 5 program, but they have no reason they have no reason to beat us, okay? There's there's no reason that this that we should lose this football team. We are better than them, we are more talented than them. We absolutely should beat this team. We should beat them handily. Now whether we will or not, that remains to be seen. We should have beat Nickel State handily last year when we saw we all saw what happened there. But I'm with you, Kerr. I think that our defensive strength really matches up well with what they want to do offensively. I think we'll be able to force them into some third and long situations. Not every single series, but I think we'll be able to force them into enough. Uh, and that's really where they are uncomfortable. They don't have the t- they don't have the skill set to consistently win those situations, those third and long situations. They might win one or two, but they're not going to win them consistently. And I think we can force some turnovers in those situations, getting after the passer. They're not, if we can pin our ears back and rush the passer – I think we can handle them. Uh, then we might see some mush rush in certain situations, but I think we might unleash some guys uh, as well. And uh, with that ball hanging in the air, I, I think we have a guy like Dominic Sanders playing center field can break on some of those balls and get some turnovers, try to put this team away early. We've got to hit big plays, like I said. I think I, I think Eason is ready to do that. And if we do that, put them away early, uh, we're going to run out big and, and win this game big. But if we let them hang, it, it, it could be closer – than we would like it to be a little too close for comfort, but uh, we're just we're bigger, we're stronger. Uh, our, our defensive strength is really going to match up with what they want to do. Like I said, we should be able to run the football. So if it does rain, I think we're equipped to handle that a little bit better than they are equipped to handle it, based on the style of running uh, that we that we employ. So yeah, I, I'm going eight on my confidence meter here. We absolutely should win this football game. I cannot freaking wait for it to get here. I mean, what well, we're two and a half days out, and it cannot get here fast enough. So. Can't wait, guys. Definitely let us know uh, what you think about the game uh, over the weekend and what feature your comments, your questions about that game, the game game happening next week uh, on our midweek show uh, next week. So definitely hit hit us up with those questions. Just a quick reminder also, obviously it's Labor Day, so we're going to have a show where I have to go to the lake uh, over the weekend after the game, or actually on Sunday. But I'm going to get back early Monday. Kurt and I are going to try to record and have a show up for you guys. Uh, by Monday afternoon, so make sure you check back Monday afternoon for our recap of the Appalachian thing, and hopefully it'll be a pleasant conversation. I, I hope it will. But uh, we always appreciate you guys listening. For Curtis, I'm Tyler. As always, guys, go dogs.